The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Midweek Markets Day here on Sportbox. In the headlines, gold retreating from a six-year high. Asian stocks follow Wall Street into the red as Fed Chair Jerome Powell dampens rate cut expectations. The question my colleagues and I are grappling with is whether these uncertainties will continue to weigh on the outlook and thus call for additional policy accommodation. We are also mindful that monetary policy should not overreact to any individual data point or short-term swing in sentiment. And the war of words between Washington and Tehran isn't stopping the Trump administration for looking for Mideast peace. I'm here in Bahrain with an interview with U.S. Secretary of the Treasury Steven Mnuchin later today. A bigger than expected fall in U.S. crude stockpiles sends crude prices to their highest level in nearly a month. U.S. chipmakers appear to sidestep Washington's ban on Huawei as the administration reportedly aims to restart trade negotiations with China after Presidents Trump and Xi meet at the G20. And at this hour, the Trump-Russia saga is back. A House panel confirms special counsel Robert Mueller will testify. A major city in the United States bans the sale of e-cigarettes and Europe braces for a heat wave with temperatures set to reach 40 degrees Celsius in France. A very warm welcome to Squawk Box this morning. Yesterday, we saw risk-off mode really come to light on Wall Street. As you can see beside me, and for those podcast listeners, it is red across the board for the three major indices in the U.S., with the NASDAQ leading losses down 1.5%. So tech stocks underperforming yet again, but the S&P and the Dow also losing ground. Yesterday, we saw a combination of geopolitical tensions in the Middle East, a weak consumer confidence, and Fed speak way on sentiment and drive those stocks lower. On the month, though, important to remember that uh, uh, these stocks are still up. Major indices are up between 5 and 7% for the month of June overall. In terms of that consumer confidence reading, it came in below expectations. In June, it was 121.5. That's the lowest level since September 2017. I want to highlight this because uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell highlighted the strength of the consumer in the last Fed meeting. The consumption component of GDP is 70%, so really important to the health of the consumer. So the fact that that came in weaker than expected, certainly a drag on sentiment. And then the less dovish Fed speak. We had uh, the St. Louis uh, Fed President Bullard reigning in hopes of a 50 basis point cut at the July meeting. The markets had been hopeful of that, uh, so that dragging on sentiment as well. So overall, a negative picture on Wall Street. Let's take a look at gold, which has been uh, really riding high on the back of a weaker dollar uh, on the back of that dovish Fed. Now we are seeing gold pull back a little bit, down 1% in the latest session. That would make sense alongside the Fed speak that I just mentioned and the moves we've seen in the dollar, but still trading above that $1,400 mark. Let's take a look at oil markets as well. I mentioned geopolitical tensions in the Middle East being a drag on markets. Uh, Now this morning we are seeing WTI and Brent move higher on nearly 2% for WTI and about 1.5% for Brent. 
event that comes out uh, after we got some fresh uh, U.S. stockpile data. Bigger than expected fall in those U.S. stockpiles, and that's sending oil higher this morning. Uh, on the month, we are seeing WTI on pace for the best month since January. So overall, energy markets still higher, largely on the back of those escalated tensions in the Middle East. Moving right along, let's take a look at overnight markets in Asia. Fairly muted picture, uh, but that negative tone from Wall Street filtering through to a degree. Shanghai Composite down about 23 basis points. The underperformer of the region, the Nikkei 225, down about 0.69%. Uh, finally, let's take a look at opening calls for Europe. We are looking at a negative picture here as well. All four of the major regions pointing to a lower start uh, of the bunch. The DAX is looking at the weakest open. Jeff? Yeah, thanks very much indeed, uh, Juliana, for that. Let's get into uh, this Jerome Powell story in some detail then, because I think the market needs an explanation. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell has warned the outlook for the US economy has worsened since early May amid uncertainty around trade and global growth. So he's saying it's worsened. In this speech at the Council on Foreign Relations, Powell added the central bank remains independent from political control despite pressure from the White House to cut rates. Powell, however, did not commit to a cut, saying the central bank is still considering whether it's time to take action. The question my colleagues and I are grappling with is whether these uncertainties will continue to weigh on the outlook and thus call for additional policy accommodation. Many FOMC participants judge that the case for somewhat more accommodative policy has strengthened. But we were also mindful that monetary policy should not overreact to any individual data point or short-term swing in sentiment. Doing so would risk adding even more uncertainty to the outlook. We will closely monitor the implications of incoming information for the economic outlook and will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. And in other Fed speak, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard said it now seems a good time for a 25 basis point cut and that this would be sufficient as an insurance move against a possible severe slowdown. In an interview with Bloomberg, he said that he sees 50 basis points worth of cuts by the end of the year. Bullard last week was the only FOMC member who voted in favor of an immediate rate cut. Now I want to bring in Valentin Marinov, who joins us around the desk, head of G10 FX research at Credit Agricole. Thank you for joining us this morning. morning. Let's pick up right on the back of those Bullard comments. I mean, he has really reined in expectations of a 50 basis point cut in July. The markets had become seemingly excited about this prospect. Now we've seen a negative reaction to that yesterday. But isn't that a little bit uh, contradictory given that it provides a little bit of reassurance that the Fed doesn't think its conditions have deteriorated enough to warrant such a big cut? That's how a put should work. Uh, when a central bank uh, introduces, uh, in this particular case, the so-called Powell put, the intention is not really to use it, uh, not right away uh, anyway. And uh, the idea there being that by uh, using both forward guidance and the outlook uh, for rates, really, the markets, uh, the Fed is actually hoping that the markets will do their job for them uh, a little bit, if you wish. And if you look uh, at what the U.S. financial conditions have been doing since Powell really 
actually added that sentence to that speech he had like two or three weeks uh, or so ago, really, uh, that has certainly achieved its goal. U.S. financial conditions have eased dramatically. And uh, the point about that is also it also reduces the pressure on the Fed uh, to act. Uh, so I guess it's a bit of a tug of war of two uh, drivers there. And uh, ultimately what the reaction last night on the Fed comments have highlighted is that uh, the markets may have gotten a bit ahead of themselves, really pricing in uh, imminent aggressive rate cuts. Uh, that's not going to come. So um, let's see if I'm understanding yeah. this correctly. So this is a fiendish, devious plan through verbal intervention to manage down both expectations uh, around the growth level of yeah, the yeah. U.S. economy and therefore persuade the market to reduce interest rates, real interest rates? Well, I think uh, what, what the Fed is trying to do is just to smooth uh, the ride, if you wish, in the sense that the economy is slowing. We have those headwinds from uh, the global trade war, if you wish. And if anything, uh, the best that the Fed will hope to do now is really try to avoid any escalation uh, in the market tensions, any unwarranted tightening in the market financial uh, conditions. So, And they have those two tools. One is obviously the rate cuts so that they can always promise. But in the meantime, they will be reliant a lot more more on forward guidance, uh, really, in the sense that effectively promising that uh, they will uh, deliver the goods, hoping that the markets will respond to that and in the process doing their job. At some point, I mean, as we like to call it in a more dramatic fashion, the markets will call their bluff and say, OK, show us the money, uh, if you wish. But we're not there yet. Uh, if anything, uh, uh, I think I wouldn't interpret uh, last night's reaction in the stock markets as something overly uh, dramatic. It is the case, however, that what the market should also realize is that a rate cut is a precious commodity. Powell said it yesterday. We don't have that many uh, really rate cuts uh, uh, on our uh, play, uh, really. So that uh, indeed, if the real issue is a slowing U.S. economy and your job as a central bank is to smooth the right to kind of engineer a softer landing, you could be quite uh, or you should be rather cautious implementing those uh, rate cuts. See, that's why he gets the big money at Credit Agricole, because he was able to see behind the headline because what i saw was a fed chairman who gave the proverbial two fingers to donald trump uh, and said to donald trump you know what you keep pushing pal and we might just forget well, about that think, early rate cut i think that's a very interesting situation because uh, what you're saying actually is uh, just putting it into context when we talk to clients i mean Time and time again, they tell you, you know, that the Fed is some, somehow beholden to the markets, beholden to Trump, to the markets. And because Trump is looking at the markets, it's kind of a strengthening the dependence on what the Fed is going to do on the market reactions. Hence, Fed's reaction function is the market's reaction function. And I think that that's a bit of a stretch. I mean, the Fed has to preserve some autonomy, some independence. And it is the case that their job ultimately it's is... It's not a stretch, though, is it? Because the, the reaction function of the Fed appeared to shift on that pivot when we had that very weak fourth quarter for the markets. Now, that was a market phenomena, that fourth quarter sell-off, which didn't alter yeah. necessarily the glide path of the US economy. But the Fed panicked and it pivoted and it told the market we are now shifting to an easier bias. So the reaction function is correct, yeah. isn't it? It's the market, not employment or inflation or confidence or any of those fundamentals that we all look at.
No, no, point taken. It's the case, however, that uh, if indeed markets are what the Fed uh, is uh, looking at, uh, you should be also looking at the so-called financial conditions. And this is where the market reaction uh, comes into play. And according to various gauges of uh, those financial conditions, uh, uh, indeed, what we did see since, uh, as I was saying, uh, uh, Powell, uh, uh, at, uh, uh, since, since he added uh, those comments to his speech, we did see quite a market improvement in the U.S. financial conditions. Hence, really the timing and the aggressiveness of that rate cuts uh, uh, certainly uh, are dependent on that. But from the current standpoint, the Fed doesn't really need to do much to ease those conditions even further. Maybe I'm just coming on to the, the economic side of things. Uh, the chairman in his comments at the last meeting pointed to the continued strength of the consumer, the yeah. underlying fundamentals still solid. Yesterday we got a consumer confidence reading, uh, albeit this is just a confidence indication, so it's not yeah. hard data. But um, it did fall to the weakest level since September 2017. So is there a, a risk that we are starting to see cracks in the consumer and that could uh, begin to take more uh, more of a front uh, front and center role in the Fed's decision making come well, July? It is something that they are uh, certainly looking at. It is the case that, uh, I mean, as our central case, we do expect the Fed to cut rates and consistent with what uh, Bullard was saying uh, yesterday, we expect two rate cuts this year followed by another two next year. And this on the back on our, of our expectation that the US economy will be slowing to the point that we expect a mild recession uh, in early 2020. And the key driver, uh, really uh, the key headwind there would be really sentiment, business confidence, consumer sentiment. So I think you're spot on uh, on that. The Fed will continue to monitor. I think uh, where the Fed and the markets disagree really at the moment is the aggressiveness in the timing of the upcoming uh, cuts. But the market may be looking for 50 basis points uh, in July that may be a bit premature, I would think. And that was uh, what really the meeting or indeed the speeches yesterday were all about. I mean, the Fed was saying, yes, we, we will deliver the goods, but we are not there yet. Isn't yeah. it fascinating? It suddenly brought some two-way trade back into gold. What do you do, you gold bulls who thought it was 1800? Here we come. <laughs> what do you do now if you've bought 10-year treasuries and then you've suddenly thought, hang on a second, we can't go much lower in yields. There's so many great questions that this, no, this speech yeah, yeah. now raises, and we're going to get into them with you in just a second, uh, Valentin, so bear with us. The U.S. is reportedly unwilling to offer trade concessions at the upcoming G20 meeting between Presidents Trump and Xi, but still aims to restart talks afterwards. The Trump administration wants Beijing to retable the concessions it withdrew before talks broke down in May, according to a senior administration administration officials speaking to Reuters. DC says it won't accept any conditions around their own use of tariffs. And in other China-related news, Canada has suspended all meat exports to China amid a fake animal health documentation scandal. Beijing had flagged earlier that it would cut off Canadian supply after inauthentic veterinary certificates were found in some meat products. The Chinese embassy in Canada slammed, quote, obvious safety loopholes in the inspection process. Former special counsel Robert Mueller will testify before Congress on July the 17th after a subpoena from House Democrats. The group called on Mueller to work with them to, quote, address legitimate concerns about his probe into Russian meddling in the 2016 election.
Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. One of those uh, other stories we're very focused on this morning, tensions continuing to escalate between Iran and the U.S. as an economic package is unveiled in Bahrain aimed at resolving uh, the uh, peace challenge in the Middle East. We will cross live to Manama after the break. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. back, everybody. 18 minutes past the hour. President Trump has threatened Iran with obliteration after Tehran's president questioned the mental competence of the U.S. leader. In a tweet, Trump described Hassan Rouhani's comments as, quote, ignorant and insulting and warned Iran against attacking anything American. Rouhani's remarks came after the U.S. imposed a fresh round of sanctions on Iran's leadership targeting Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. Measures have already been imposed on Iran's oil production and the Revolutionary Guard. Foreign Minister Mohammad Zarif is expected to be sanctioned on Thursday. Middle East leaders have been urged to grab the, quote, opportunity of the century as the U.S. rolled out an economic package as part of an Israel-Palestinian peace plan. President Trump, senior advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner introduced the package at a meeting of Gulf leaders in Bahrain. Well, Hadley is with us from Manama uh, for this Middle East peace meeting. What's that that old uh, slogan? What if they held a party and no one came? Hadley. And doesn't it feel a little bit like that? As I understand it, what, neither the um, Israelis or the Palestinians are there. Is that correct? That is indeed correct, Jeff. But I do want to point out that that didn't keep some of the stars from the show because we had a pretty packed guest list. I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, when it comes to um, the Arab presence here, that was a little less, I think, than was anticipated uh, in terms of not just the Palestinians, of course, but also in terms of these Gulf Arabs as well. We had a little bit uh, of the finance ministries coming out from Saudi Arabia, the UAE, obviously here in Bahrain as well, in terms of their presence. But I want to mention that we did have some uh, stars of the show. Uh, Christine Lagarde was here, the president of the World Bank, was here as well. Um, Steve Schwartzman, as you very well know, was here. And Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T. So it wasn't as if no one showed up for the party. But at the end of the day, this is all about the politics, isn't it? Listen in to what the president's son-in-law had to say last night. To be clear, economic growth and prosperity for the Palestinian people are not possible without an enduring and fair political solution to the conflict, one that guarantees Israel's security and respects the dignity of the Palestinian people. However, today is not about the political issues. 
So not about the political issues, but of course they do uh, no doubt come up again and again when we're talking about these crucial, crucial issues. There's no doubt, of course, that the Palestinians are desperately in need of these kinds of opportunities. This, of course, is a package that looks at about $50 billion worth of investment over 10 years. I thought it was interesting last night that Steve Schwartzman's making the point, you know, listen, this is a small investment comparatively when we talk about what could be done and what needs to be done. And he seemed to think that it was in some ways quite achievable. Listen into what he had to say. In Gaza and the West Bank, there are no natural resources. Uh, but uh, there were no particular natural resources in Singapore. It's just a small island. It's got nothing. It's flat. But what it had was inspirational leadership. Uh, Lee Kuan Yew is one of, the, one of the most unique people in the world. Um, a, a country like Dubai, uh, which lacked the resources... Uh, of, of its neighbors uh, with large-scale uh, resources uh, has made an enormous success. And, and all of that can happen. Uh, and this is like a first step. Steve Schwartzman there making the comparison to Singapore. Now, there are, of course, a lot of differences there. The similarities are the fact that, you know, when we talk about natural resources, he's totally right when we talk about the Palestinian territories in Singapore. However, the difference is leadership. And at this point, that all goes back, as you very well know, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, something that has yet to be resolved, something that most Palestinians would say has not been helped by the U.S. decision to recognize Jerusalem over the last couple of years as the capital of Israel. They, they say that put them on the back foot. They say that this conference, in very many ways, is an attempt to buy them off. There is a lot of criticism externally here, all certainly not just in the region, but uh, from Western press as well. But I got to tell you, when, it talk, when we talk about the needs of the Palestinians themselves, there is absolutely no doubt that they are desperately in need of investment when it comes not just to um, very simple things like you know increasing the potable water supply, but also when it comes to increasing their IT sector, their infrastructure development, their agriculture. I mean, these are investments that these folks really, really need. So of course, there's no way you can have a peace plan without also some sort of economic plan as well. But whether we're putting the cart before the horse, we're just going to have to wait and see, guys. Now, I want to mention that we're going to be speaking a little bit later in the day to the Treasury Secretary, Stephen Mnuchin. He's on side here as well in support of Mr. Kushner's peace initiative. I'm going to be asking him not just about what's coming up on the horizon in terms of those U.S. sanctions, but we're also going to be uh, previewing, I think, what's going to be happening with the Chinese at the G20. So a lot of stuff on the agenda, guys, and we'll continue to bring it all to you live. All right, Hadley, thank you so much and definitely look forward to that interview with Mr. Mnuchin. Let's get back to Valentin Marinov, head of G10 FX Research Credit Agricole. I mean, just focusing on the geopolitical risk in that region for a moment, uh, U.S.-Iran tensions, uh, of course. If we see an escalation in tensions there, does that necessarily mean we're in $4 strength as a safe haven? And if you can sort of reconcile that driver with what we are expecting from the Fed, what does this mean for the dollar short term? Well, overall, I mean, certainly geopolitics, uh, to the extent that they act or fuel risk aversion, they're good uh, for the dollar against uh, a range of currencies, so-called risk-correlated currencies, uh, given that the dollar is still associated with U.S. Treasuries, with their unparalleled, unrivaled liquidity, usually investors do tend to rush into those uh, 
uh, assets uh, when uh, risk aversion spikes. However, however, in part, uh, thanks to the Powell put, because of uh, uh, really the more dovish uh, tilt at the Fed, uh, the appeal of the dollar as a high-yielding safe haven currency has been eroded. This means that investors may also buy yen, they may also buy Swiss franc, if you wish, uh, just because the dollar is no longer as attractive uh, an alternative as it used to be. I guess one currency that may not benefit as much as the other safe havens would be the euro, which is still kind of plagued by its own political risks. Not only Italy, we're also talking about Brexit uh, here, which is reducing its appeal. But overall, the dollar should come uh, on the top, uh, really. But again, because uh, of the dovish tilt at the Fed, so that appeal may have been eroded somewhat in recent weeks. So Oh, go on, well, I was just going to say, um, it seems to me this week is a very tricky one for, for, for those dollar bulls because we know at the end of the week we've got the G20 meeting. Yes. Could you just put that into the analysis? No yeah, one's I mean, expecting a wholesale deal, but if the best we get is an agreement to carry on talking and maybe a tick box on some elements of an yeah, agreement, yeah, yeah. what does that actually mean for dollar bulls? Well, that's our central case, as a matter of fact. We think that uh, the, the, the meeting between Xi and Trump will kind of uh, relaunch uh, the trade uh, discussions and potentially delay any new tariffs till September, which will extend the process. But I think it's going to extend a period of uh, what I would call a trade war fatigue in the markets. Mm. And provided that uh, the markets uh, uh, or the credibility of power put is still very much there. I think that we could see renewed demand for carry trades, uh, or indeed that's what we describe a risk-on situation in the FX market. And the dollar is still by far the most attractive carry currency out there. I think uh, in terms of levels, the uh, attractive carry currency would be short euro dollar, as in, sorry, carry trade would be short euro dollar, buying the dollar against the euro at this stage. You think dollar Swiss uh, actually may be an interesting buy uh, here as well, uh, importantly because the levels are, are quite uh, appealing. But overall, uh, I think that the outlook for the dollar in the very near term may actually improve uh, in the wake of the G20 meeting as, a, as an improvement in risk sentiment and actually burnish its appeal as a carry currency now. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.